If you want to open your Bibles to James 3, today, this is basically going to be just an overview of James 3. You know, as you study God's Word, you find out the more you study, the more there is to, to know, or the, you find it's just, just keeps exploding and expanding. And uh, James 3 was that way to me. Uh, so you could, you could split this up into several messages, but I'm going to go over the whole chapter today. So let's uh, pray, and then we'll read God's Word. Father, we thank you for this day and the opportunity that we have to gather together with the family of believers here at Algona Faith. Lord, we don't, we don't realize how good we have it until as a few years ago when we stayed home and, and watched on the internet, we, we really grew to miss the family. And so, Lord, we just thank you that we can gather here together today. Lord, I just pray your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to what you want us to hear today. Help me to articulate it. And Lord, I pray that each one here would have their ears opened to what your Holy Spirit is teaching today. We just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And to honor the Lord in the reading of his word, for those able, would you want to stand? And I'll read the passage. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest the little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. 
But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. For those that were in Sunday school this morning, there's going to be some crossover. I noticed uh, as, as we were discussing our lesson out of Romans this morning, there was a lot of things that uh, tied together with what, what I want to say today. Uh, but then, you know, the Word of God is, you know, crosses over a lot. As you read in the Old Testament or the New whatever book of the Bible, whatever chapter, you can find that it corresponds with another. And so in James 3, James is generally believed to be the half-brother of Jesus. There is a little um, discussion on that, but for the most part, James is believed to be Jesus' half-brother. He had at first rejected Jesus as the Messiah. As John 7, 5 says, for even his brothers did not believe in him. But after the resurrection, he was convinced. He became a key leader in the Jerusalem church, and according to Galatians 2.9, was called one of the pillars of that church, along with Peter and John. He was also known as James the Just because of his devotion to righteousness. Actually, or according to Jewish historian Josephus, James was martyred in A.D. 62. The book of James is primarily practical and ethical, and a lot of times you almost think of Proverbs when you're reading James. But James's point, his, uh, he hit a different angle at it, um, emphasizing duty rather than doctrine. In 108 verses, 54 clear commands are given. In chapter 2, verses 20 to 23, he wrote, But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. James encourages us not to just hear and humbly receive the word, but be doers of the word. Genuine faith will be evident by the actions in our daily lives. He says in James 1.22, we deceive ourselves when we don't put into practice what we hear, thinking we are spiritually on track. I've broken down the chapter into three points, I guess, or three uh, sections. 
So in verses 1 through 12, no man can tame the tongue. Verses 13 through 17, wisdom from above gives us the ability to do what's right. And verse 18, God wants us to bear good fruit and use our members as instruments of righteousness for his glory and the edification of others. So James, his main point is, if you have genuine faith, your lives will demonstrate it. And in in this chapter, he talks about our tongue. If we have genuine faith, what we say will, will show what that faith is. You know, you can have religion and come to church in the morning and, and uh, say all the right things, but if you leave and through the week, your mouth doesn't say the same things that you said in church, you don't have genuine faith. Amen. So point one in verses one to 12 James starts with a warning to those who want to be teachers. Jesus said in Luke 12, 48, to whom much is given from him, much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask more. Deuteronomy eighteen twenty says, but the prophet who presumes to speak the word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Now, that seemed awful harsh, but God was serious about those who would represent him and what they said. God takes very seriously how he was represented. In Numbers 20, Moses did not reflect the heart and character of God before the people of Israel when he pridefully disobeyed God by striking the rock twice instead of speaking to it. He was not able to enter the promised land as a judgment from God. This may seem an excessively harsh punishment for Moses. It seems that with only one slip-up, he now had to die short of the promised land But Moses was being judged by a stricter standard. Because of his leadership position with the nation and because he had a uniquely close relationship with God. You know, the people looked up to him. He uh, brought the people out of Egypt and they respected him. And certainly they were frustrating. Moses got frustrated with him and with them and angry. But he was representing God. As leaders, teachers are in a position to be looked up to and to be trusted. You know, and we've seen this, you know, in the past years. Uh, preachers and evangelists that have you know, people had large followings and people looked up to them and trusted them and they've fallen. So a teacher is held to a lot stricter standard. James 1.19 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. A teacher speaks more, so he has more opportunity to say things 
worthy of judgment. And, you know, really, when you stop and think about it, in all of our lives, as we go out in the world, and especially, you know, we don't know who's looking up to us. You know, we've, we may have spoken with people about the Lord, and they just know, you know, there's something different about them, and they're watching us. So when we say things that don't properly represent the Lord, we are, you know, we're standing on thin ice. You know, God, God's name will be honored. And we need to, uh, as we spoke in Sunday school, we need to fear him. And not in a way that, uh, you know, lightning is going to strike us if we say something wrong. But we need to fear him and honor his name, especially before people that look up to us. Now, in this verse, he was primarily talking to teachers that, you know, spoke every week or every you know, few days and represented the Lord and taught his word. But I think we can apply that to all of our lives. James includes himself in verse 2 when he says, we shall uh, receive a stricter judgment. And then when he also said, for we all stumble. So James, being a leader in the early church, admitted that he was capable of stumbling but our lives, if we have genuine faith, doesn't mean that we're perfect. It means that we're heading a certain direction. We're heading the right direction. And I think, you know, in verse 2, you can almost kind of look at it. In verse 1, he's speaking to the teacher. But in verse 2, he's speaking to the congregation, saying that we need to understand that the teacher is human too. We can tell by his life if he's serving the Lord and heading the right direction, but we can understand that he's capable of making a mistake, and so we should have grace to understand that. It is more than having a natural, natural ability or even spiritual gifts. It's a matter of character and right living. It's a matter of what is spoken. Verse 2 says, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. And we all know that Jesus was the only perfect man. So, and James says here that if you can bridle your tongue, you can bridle your whole body, you can control your whole body, and you won't sin. So he's saying, you know, we got to understand that we're still capable of sinning. The Bible says in Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. And in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah, who was the prophet of God and, you know, well known, I mean, there's a whole chapter in the Bible he said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Psalm 12.2 says that by nature, our lips are full of flattery and false intent. And in Psalm 31.18 says that by nature, our lips lie and are proud. 
you know, we do damage with our lips. Uh, David cried out to the Lord for protection from his enemies who were slandering him. You know, just the words we say can almost hurt more than being physically beaten. We can be intentional with our lips or we can be unintentional. I know I've said things before I didn't really mean to be hurtful, but because I didn't think, the words came out wrong. Because of our sinful nature, we have a tendency to stumble, even if we don't plan on it. And I don't know how many of you would agree that, yeah, there's times I've really stuck my foot in my mouth. We stumble by boasting or exaggerating, not which, you know, not telling the whole truth. Maybe we're not really lying, but we're just not telling the whole truth. We criticize, we gossip, we slander, we get angry, we flatter someone just so that we can be exalted. The bit and the rudder are small but extremely important. If they are not controlled, the entire horse is out of control and the entire ship is out of control. It is possible for something as small as the tongue to have tremendous power for either good or evil. Our words can either build up friendships or create enemies. They can either strengthen the bond between brothers and sisters in Christ or they can fracture relationships. Words can destroy marriages. Words can discourage people from using their God-given talents. Or they can encourage them and spur them on. James goes on to say in verse 5, Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest the little fire kindles. And the tongue is so set among your members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. The, the things that we say the devil can use and just get the ball rolling to something terrible. I mean, we can just say one little thing to someone and that can get them thinking and, and just destroy their lives and cause them to do one thing after another, and it, it leads to destruction. Matthew Henry wrote, The devil is expressly called a liar, a murderer, an accuser of the brethren. And whenever men's tongues are employed in any of these ways, they are set on fire of hell. Children are told, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. But that child's rhyme isn't really true. The bitter pain of a word spoken against us can hurt us for a lifetime long after the broken bone has healed. On October 8, 1871, about 8.30 p.m., a small fire started on the southwest side of Chicago. Because of the hot, dry summer, strong winds and predominantly wooden construction the fire spread and burned for two days. It consumed 3.3 square miles of the city. 
300 people died. 17,500 structures were destroyed. 100,000 people left homeless. And at that time, $222 million damage, which equates to $5.4 billion today. Man has an incredible capacity for sacrifice and self-control. In desperate situations, people have cut their own leg off to free themselves from a fallen tree. We can tame animals and control them, but the Bible says no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. The tongue needs a guiding power. A firm hand grips the reins to control the horse. A steerman's hand moves the rudder and the ship responds accordingly. As believers, we say God is in control and we want him to guide our thoughts, words, and actions. But we try to take control of our lives because we think we can do it on our own. Or we just charge forward without thinking. Idle words, rash words, unconsidered words make up much of our conversation. His tongue ran away with him is often true. How many have ever said that or thought that about themselves? I used to, where I worked, there was a guy just said, blah, 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 blah. He says, too much blah, blah. It's time to work. (laughs) Matthew Henry said, no man can tame the tongue without supernatural assistance and grace. The apostle does not intend to represent it as a thing impossible, but as a thing that is extremely difficult which therefore will require great watchfulness and pains and prayer to keep it in due order. So point one, no man can tame the tongue. And point two, verses 13 to 17, wisdom from above gives us the ability to do what's right. This morning in Sunday school, we talked about wisdom and what wisdom is. But there's two kinds of wisdom. The Bible says in James 3.13, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. So, if, if we have genuine faith and understanding, we will, and meekness means humility, but we will have good, good conduct. You know, we, and we'll have it in humility. We won't do it in a prideful way. But in the meek, okay. Uh, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. In other words, earthly wisdom sensual wisdom, demonic wisdom, doesn't come from God. It comes from pride. It comes from the devil. It's self-seeking. You know, we do it for ourselves. We don't do it for the Lord. For where envy and self-seeking exist, 
confusion and every evil thing are there. But wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. You could have a message just on that last verse. First, we need to recognize where earthly wisdom comes from. Earthly wisdom is self-seeking. It springs from earthly principles. Acts upon earthly motives and is intent upon serving earthly purposes. Earthly wisdom depends on self. Wisdom from above depends on God. We can see that as we look all around. The people that depend on earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom is sensual, literally animal-like. You can see that today too. The wisdom of the natural man, not born again of God, not having the Spirit. Jude 1.19 says, these are sensual persons who cause divisions not having the spirit, speaking of the, and when he wrote this, he was speaking of the grumblers, complainers, and those walking according to their own lusts, those mouthing great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantages, and the mockers in the last days. Earthly wisdom is demonic from the devil, not from God, who is the giver of true wisdom. Secondly, after we recognize where earthly wisdom comes from, we need to recognize that we need to resist the devil. James 4, 4 4-7 says, adulterers and adulteresses, and he's talking not of physical adulterers or adulteresses at this point, he's talking about spiritual adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. God knows what's best for us and is ready to give us more grace when we humbly submit to him. We have to choose. We, God doesn't do it all. He, he's ready to give us grace and the ability to resist, but we have to make that first step. Thirdly, draw near to God. James 4, 8 to 10 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. We do make mistakes. We do sin and fall short. But he says, repent. He says, lament and mourn and weep. 
And he says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. We have to admit that we made a mistake, that we've sinned, that we've, we've, we've gone against what he wants us to do. And he will forgive us. God wants us to depend on him and his wisdom, not our own strength and wisdom. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he told his disciples he would send the gift of the Holy Spirit to help them. John 15.26 says, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Paul said in Galatians 5.16, Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Jesus gave us the promise of the Holy Spirit to help us in this life, to walk in truth, to walk in and to say the right things. And that leads to the next point, point three. God wants us to present our members as instruments of righteousness for his glory and the benefit of those around us. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to do the right thing and say the right thing. And not only to be an encouragement and a blessing to people around us, but to tell people about Jesus, to share the gospel with them. We can encourage our brothers and sisters in the Lord and share the gospel message with those who don't yet know Jesus. Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. When we are that tree planted by the river that draws from God's endless supply we will have a message of hope and life to share with those in this world who have no hope. Paul told in Romans 6, 12 to 13, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it and its lusts, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. We, he he has, has assigned and given us good works to do. And a demonstration of, our, of genuine faith is our doing those good works, our saying, speaking the things we should speak, and encouraging other people. By God's grace, through faith, we can say no to self and yield our bodies as living sacrifices to God. We are created and redeemed to do good works. And I believe it's in Titus, it says we are created to zealously do good works, not just passively like, oh, I suppose I have to do that or I can do that. No, God said we can be zealous to do good works. What do you want me to do next? You know, what do you want me to say? Who do you want me to talk to? Colossians 4, 5 to 6 says, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Speaking of those in our world, 
who don't know yet don't yet know Jesus. Redeeming the time. Time is very valuable. And the older a person gets, the more he realizes how valuable that time is. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. You know, the Holy Spirit will give us the words to say too. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for that necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. David Guzik, a, a commentator, says, The new man knows how to watch his tongue, speak only what is good for the necessary edification, desiring to impart grace to all who hear him. You may have thought, as I have many times, and I probably still think that a lot, better to remain silent and thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. I don't know how many have ever heard that, but (laughs) certainly there are times when we need to just keep our mouth shut. But you don't solve the problem of an unruly horse by keeping him in the barn or the problem of a hard-to-steer ship by keeping it tied to the dock. In some way, even a vow of silence is not the ultimate answer to the misuse of the tongue. The bridle, the rudder, and the fire can all do tremendous good when they are controlled properly. God wants to help us, and he will if we ask. Also, study your Bible. And I, I put, don't just casually read it, study and meditate on it. Um, and as I think about that, there's times when maybe you want to just pick up your Bible and you're not really going to get into it, but you'll just casually read it. And the Lord can speak to you in that moment too. I'm not saying he won't, but so often I think we pick up our Bible and read it and say, okay, there, I got that done for the day. God wants us to really get into his word. I find that, you know, preparing to speak, really, I mean, the Bible is just endless. You can study for hours and hours and hours and feel like you haven't done anything. There's so much in God's word and he wants us to study it. And the more we study it, the more we put that in our heart. You know, what's in our heart comes out our mouth. And so we need to put a lot of God's word in our heart. A good man, Jesus said, a good man out of the good treasure in his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Then secondly, practice makes perfect. Don't let mistakes of past failures keep you from speaking words of life and hope to others. Learn from your mistakes. You know, there's been times I've shared with someone 
And after I, I did, I thought, oh, man, I really messed that up, and oh, this and that and the other, or, you know, I said the wrong thing. But don't let that stop you. Just say, okay, I know what not to say next time, or, or I know what I should say, and, and just move on. God wants us, he doesn't want us to be stifled by that. Are you just religious or are you born again? Charles Spurgeon once said, unless you are regenerated, born from above by a new and heavenly birth, you are not a Christian and you cannot produce fruit which is acceptable to God any more than a fig tree can produce olive berries. Is what comes out of the mouth consistent with what is in a changed heart? And I talked about that a little bit ago. Genuine faith will produce a direction coming out of your mouth. It won't be a Sunday kind of a, a religion or faith where you just speak the right thing on Sunday and the rest of the week is worldly. So, you know, do you have religion or are you born again? So what does James want us to learn from this chapter? Well, I think first the power of the tongue and the influence it can have for good and evil. And we've probably known that before and thought about that. But it, it is really something to be conscious of all the time. That there's a lot of power comes from what we say to people. The, okay, number two, the inability of man to control or tame the tongue. Man cannot tame the tongue. We, we cannot do it. The Bible says we can't do it. We may think we can, but we can't. And number three, when we are born again and made a new creature through faith in Jesus, redeeming work on the cross, there is a change in our thinking, in our words, in our actions. We have wisdom from above and not earthly wisdom. And then finally, to live out our faith with the fruit of righteousness as a manifestation of genuine faith. And, and part of that is sharing our faith with others. We live out our faith and people can see. You know, like someone once said, he doesn't judge people, he just is a fruit inspector. You know, what kind of lives do they live? Are they genuine or not? Finally, I want to end with this. And, you know, I, I don't know everybody here real well. And I certainly don't know those who are watching. But, if you were to die tonight and stood before God and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Would you say, well, I go to church every Sunday or twice a month or I give in an offering or I give to the needy, I help my neighbors, I say kind things to people. I, you know, the list goes on and on. 
the Bible says that all those things are good, but in Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. There's nothing we can do to earn our way to heaven. And being human beings and having a human nature, we tend to want to make things right ourselves. We tend to want to earn. We, we tend to want to prove ourselves. But there's nothing we can do to earn our way. Isaiah 64, 6 says, but we are all like, we are all like an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are filthy rags. In God's eyes, they're despicable. We may think they're, he'll be, oh boy, he's going to be impressed with me when he sees this. But they're filthy rags. We all deserve eternal punishment in hell. But Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us to, to pay the penalty of this, our sin. There's nothing we can do. It's a free gift. We just believe and receive it. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I believe it's in Matthew that says, you know, we will be held accountable for every idle word spoken. And so, you know, we're talking about the tongue today. And in this verse it says, with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. But where does it start from? It starts from a believing heart. So, it's, it's simple. Uh, Grace, God loves us so much that he gave. All we have to do is believe that and confess it. And our lives are changed. You know, it just sounds too simple to be true. But as we look at uh, people that are born again, their lives totally change direction. I mean, we're all examples of that. And we, if we think back, of what our life was like before the Lord and what our life is now. I mean, every day we draw closer to Him. Every day we become more like Him. And it's, it's something that if we don't actually stop and, and acknowledge or recognize, we maybe don't even notice because it's, it's so many times so small of increments. Now, certainly there are those that, you know, their lives changed overnight. But there's still a growing closer to the Lord. So, with that, I just encourage you to examine your own hearts. 
to see that you truly are of the faith and then live out that life before others and be an encouragement and a blessing to them. Let's rise and close. Father, thank you once again for your word and and the opportunity that we had today to be here together. Lord, your word is so uh, all-inclusive in our lives. There's not one part of our lives that your word doesn't cover and, and give us direction to or encourage us in. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us all to dig into your word and, and seek you and, and trust you. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that needs a special touch from you physically or emotionally, that you would minister that to them and, and just uh, touch them in a, in a healing way. And Lord, if there's anyone here or uh, watching that does not yet know you, they need uh, a spiritual uh, touch from you, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, convict them of their sin and draw them to yourself. Lord, help us all to be an encouragement and a blessing to those around us that we encounter this week. And may you receive all the glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.